fab listeners, all you boys and ghouls out there. This is your co-host, Adam Danger, shoeless Adam Danger. And once again, joined by my partner through time, Beetle Ed. Beetle Ed, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm doing quite well, I, I'd say. I'd imagine. Uh, what have you been up to lately? Well, I moved out of my apartment uh, last week on Friday, and so now it's just me and my girlfriend in her studio apartment, and we're just, you know, we're just like anybody else. We're just uh, living day to day, trying to wait out this pandemic, you know what I'm saying? I'm right there with you. I think everyone listening to this hopefully is... uh is doing their best that they can, make it day to day. That's all we can do, celebrate all the victories and kind of keep looking forward. Uh, and while you're doing that, why not listen to the Fab Five and hopefully hear us and listen to our little takes and enjoy them and, uh, you know, just take it easy for a little bit. Let us be your companions, as it were. In uh, that being said, in today's topic, today's topic has to do with the film, the 1968 animated film, Yellow Submarine. Now, Beetlehead, if I told you that I had not seen this movie uh, in my life before this weekend, would you have believed me? Well, you did tell me that, and not only was I shocked, I was mildly disgusted, to be honest with you, if I'm being honest. I can't have you being disgusted with me, it hurts my feelings too much. Yeah, I get, a, uh, I get a message from Adam over the weekend, and, and it says, oh, I'm watching The Yellow Submarine, and I'm like, I read it, and I was like, cool, and then he messages me, like, a shortly after, and he's like, we should have watched this, like, meaning, like, back in the the golden days, right, back in college, we should have watched this, yeah. so then I'm like, that's a weird way to put it, so I messaged him, and I was like, well, how many times have you seen it, and he was like, once and I was like, are you telling me this is the first time you've ever seen The Yellow Submarine at, what, 34 years old? Well, let's not break the myth here. I'm only in my early 30s. And you're, I mean, self-proclaimed uh, premier Beatles historian That's in the true. state of Texas, right? That's state true. I'd say the greater Southwest. Right. And you've never seen The Yellow Submarine again. And he said... I was like, I cannot believe that. Are you serious? And then you said, oh, I saw clips here and there, but I just never thought I'd really dig it that much. But it turns out it's pretty rad. That's what you said. That is so I'm true. still That's getting all... over it. I was shocked. <laughs> Those are all verified facts. Yes. I guess, why hadn't I seen Yellow Submarine before? Well, I, I want to say uh, we didn't watch it. We didn't. I don't think we had a copy of it at home growing up. So we did watch like Help and Hard Day's Night. Uh, we had those on VHS as kids and my mom would put it on and we'd watch it and it was pretty funny. And I always knew about Yellow Submarine. Uh, I'd listen to the record, thought, oh, there's a couple of neat tunes like Only a Northern Song or Hey Bulldog. And I just, I didn't get it. And once I watched Anthology, uh, once I borrowed your copy of Beatles Anthology on DVD, you know, I got to see a little bit more of it. I saw some of the clips and I thought, well, this is cool. But I think I probably had more of a a prejudice like oh this is probably just for kids and the Beatles aren't even doing their real voices how much influence do they actually have on this you know that this may just be it was just a cartoon about the Beatles that didn't even have the Beatles 
uh, voice on it, and he used some of the songs. So I thought, well, okay, like I could probably go without watching it, right? Like I didn't really make a concerted effort to actually seek it out and to watch it for all these years until, oh, the past two weeks, my dad had messaged me. Uh, if you haven't listened to our other podcast, Russell Hazard. Uh, Great name. Hazard, I guess there, yes. He, uh, he said, oh, son, you know, I bought this. Uh, I got the Blu-ray. Would you like to borrow it? And normally, I like to just kind of be like, oh, no, that's fine, Dad. I don't need it because I don't like borrowing things, maybe. I, do you, how do you feel about that, Edwin? If someone, like, volunteers things to you, are you one to say, yeah, I'll borrow it and hold on to it? And you know you're probably not going to sit down and watch it for a week, two weeks, if you ever watch it. And then you have to just kind of turn around and be like, oh, hey, I wanted to bring this back to you if you return it, right? Like, it's a whole cottage industry there. No, certainly. Borrowing anything is an enormous burden, and we should never do it. But in so, this case, it was worthwhile. Definitely. So I did say, as I kind of went against my nature and said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly take this copy that you just purchased. Uh, so I brought it home. Uh, before work, I was, by, I was in the apartment by myself. I said, well, why not put this on? Uh, just to watch it, you know, just put it on and see where it takes me. And so I did. I put on Yellow Submarine. I made sure I didn't have anything else to do. I wanted to focus on it. I wanted to watch it. I wanted to give it a fair shot to see if I really appreciated it or, you know, if it was so-so. Uh, now, listener, I watched this, and now I feel like I've had a conversion. Now I finally get it. I finally see it. And I came up with a topic today of, the Fab Five lasting legacies of Yellow Submarine. When I started thinking about it, I, I was watching it and it felt so familiar. There were so many things that, not just Beatle music and not just like Beatle jokes, but so many familiar themes that I see in other pop culture and shows, and not just animated shows, but TV, movies. So I wanted to talk with uh, Beatle Ed and I wanted you all to listen to what I thought were the Fab Five lasting legacies but before we get started i'd like to ask you to let what are your childhood memories of watching yellow submarine well you know it's so crazy that you have not watched this movie as i have said and i must have you know during our entire friendship i was just acting on the assumption that you had seen this movie so our friendship is based on a lie and many because I have, the funny thing is, is I have forced this movie upon so many of my friends who have, don't even have an interest in the Beatles. So I, I guess if I had ever had an inkling that you had not seen this movie, I definitely would have made you watch it that night. This movie for me, I don't even, uh, I mean, it's hard to overstate the influence that this movie has had on me in my life. Um, I often sit around marveling at how influential this movie was to me and just my entire sort of aesthetic or whatever as a visual artist um, is is built, I feel like. I mean, Yellow Submarine, Yellow Submarine is the foundation, the bedrock of my sort of, um, I don't know, my artistic, my visual art mind. And I, I, first time I saw it, I was so young, I couldn't even say, you know, I think my mom must have rented it from the movie store um, when I was five, six, seven years old or something like that. And 
any sort of disturbing uh, children's cartoon I would latch on to as a little kid and would prove to be very influential, sort of like Watership Down, which we've talked about, which is <laughs> probably arguably much more disturbing than The Yellow Submarine. The Yellow Submarine is not a terribly disturbing film, certainly not to an adult sensibility, but to a kid, if you compare it to The Little Mermaid, uh, it's pretty weird. Um, I've seen, I mean, this may be, uh, a lo- you know, between that and, and Watership Down, Yellow Submarine may be the movie that I have seen the most times in my life, honestly. Oh, um, just always, I, I'm, I don't know, I just loved it from the beginning. And, you know, in the beginning, I was so young that I just assumed that the Beatles were doing their own voices. And it wasn't until I was about 12 or 13 year, years old when I found out the horrible truth that they were not doing their own voices, which was... Uh, heartbreaking a little bit but i got over it and you know as recently as two or three years ago i dragged all my san francisco friends and my roommates down to the castro theater to see a screening of the yellow submarine because i've just like i said i have throughout my life i have forced the people close to me to bear witness to this film so i could go on but needless to say it's probably, you know, yeah, I've seen it more than any other movie, quite possibly. And just by that measure, it's one of uh, the favorite films of my lifetime. One of my favorites. And I'll just stop there. Well, I was going to ask, I don't know if uh, a friend of ours uh, goes by the name of Dina. Uh, Dina had a uh, messaged me and said hey there's actually going to be like a yellow submarine watch along on youtube this was like maybe three weeks ago four weeks yeah, ago yeah yeah she messaged and me about that too i was like oh i should check it out now i feel like such a phony because i'd never seen it before had i seen it i probably would have been like oh yeah let, let's put it on and like you know enjoy uh watching this with everybody else uh so now i kind of regret not being a part of that that little watch along that little commune right another instance of the beatles bringing people together which uh, hopefully fab listener that you realize that's a theme of our show is as uh, how the beatles bring people together and how could it bring you together with others so uh well, back in further- the back in the with further ado i was going to say back in the heyday back in the san antonio heyday when we were uh, i had was in the apartment with our Cameron and DeAndrea, I wish you'd been there because DeAndrea, I mean, this is how I remember it, but I think she has uh, disagreed with this account of the story. But I thought she had this, yeah, she, in my memory, she got this financial aid refund for like 700 bucks. And we're sitting around the apartment. And she's like, gosh, I don't know if I should just put this in the bank. I kind of want to get a TV, like a flat screen TV, which was cutting edge technology back then. Oh, yeah. And we were like we were like the little two devils on her shoulders, as I recall. We were like, yeah, get that TV for the apartment. So we swapped out our like bulky, uh, I don't even know, tube television. Is that what, are they tubes? I don't know. We swapped out our bulky television for a new state of the art, like gigantic flat screen TV, and we were sitting there. We just set it up, and it was like, how are we gonna? What should be the inaugural film that we watch? And I was like, well, I got the Yellow Submarine on DVD. And they were like, yeah, I haven't seen that. And I was like, all right, let's watch this. And of all the times I've made 
people watch the Yellow Submarine, that was by far the most uh, satisfying because D'Andrea, at least, was completely blown away, just floored by this movie. And gosh, I wish I'd known that you hadn't seen it because we would have called you up and got you over there. I would have loved I, for you to have partaken in that that experience. I have to say, Fab listener, just to let you in on, on the history of, between old Beetle-Ed and myself, there is no better company to enjoy any kind of movie with um, in this world than with the company of Beetle-Ed, Cameron, D'Andrea, um, you know, as the main contingent, just hanging out. Uh, let me paint a picture for you. We were just talking about this off air. There's always going to be like a very comfy couch or like just a series of huge plush pillows and just laying down. And when we were before the apartment, when we were in uh, on campus, you know, in the dorm, DeAndre had this beautiful setup of all these pillows, throw pillows. I mean, it looked like something a sultan would have uh, devised, right? And yes, very sultan-esque. Yes, and just relaxing. I think you could you could really just unwind, and it just allowed you to let your mind focus. And we'd watch uh, one year, Cameron, his uncle or somebody got him a copy of The Last Waltz because they knew Cameron liked music, and they were like, this deals with music. I don't think Cameron could have been any could have cared any less about it, but we put it on, right? And we were all just sitting there laying down on these wonderful uh, pillows just watching this. And there's a, a, uh, a portion where I believe it's, um, oh, uh, I forget who from the band was like, this was back in the day when you had bands called uh, Marshmallow Overcoat. And I think that just struck us so funny. He was talking about psychedelia, right, uh, at the time. Uh, it was Levon Helm, I think. Levon Helm was just talking about, yeah, this is a, uh, it was just super psychedelic. So we just wanted to be something simple, country, you know, real roots. And in talking about Yellow Submarine, I think we're going to talk about the aspect of like marshmallow overcoat, psychedelia uh, in, in film. But the point I'm trying to make is that like, if I could go back in time to any part of my life and just spend an evening, it would be back in the company of DeAndrea, Edwin and Cameron, and hopefully watching Yellow Submarine and just relaxing and allowing my mind to get on. We were all on the same wavelength and just enjoy it and be a part of this communion of souls. Hey, I'm right there with you, buddy. Maybe we should so have another, you- let's make another podcast where we just reminisce about college. I think that could Whole get podcast. incriminating after a while. Are the statute of limitations up after some of that? I think so. <laughs> well, again, uh, without further ado, this time... Without further ado. Well, a little more ado. It's all in the mind, if you will. The Fab Five legacies of this movie. Again, after watching it, I, I realized that there was so much that felt familiar. So well, let's try to... I'm going to bring up some topics. Beetlehead, you tell me if you agree, if you have a different perspective, or if I'm just full of it. Either way, yeah. Well, you, you you shared your you shared your bulleted uh, list of five items with me ahead of time, and I'm very interested to hear uh, what you have to say about some of these. Interesting. I'll be interested to see how you connect the, these dots. Right. Let's see. It'll be a tightrope here. So let's start with number five. 
the obvious uh, influence would be on animation. And I was in reading different articles about Yellow Submarine and, and trying to just get more information about it. I came across uh, the name John Lasseter. Do you know the name John Lasseter? Oh, yeah. Explain that for the viewer. A titan of animation. John Lasseter. Well, he was he was like the head honcho at Pixar until he got uh, he got uh, booted. I think, right? I believe so. He got me tooed. Oh boy! But well, he was yeah he was the head of Pixar at the helm of many of the most classic and beloved Pixar films, and then has you know a very storied and illustrious career in animation prior to Pixar even. He's woven throughout uh, the annals of animation history over the past 30, 40 years, I suppose. Right. And having someone that's so uh, influential, I'd say. I mean, this person was kind of the one of the brains behind the first Toy Story. And, you know, when we think back at our childhood, we understand that Toy Story was a watershed moment when animation really took the next leap forward but not just in terms of three dimensions, but also in terms of story, in terms of uh, the way it was going to present itself. So now you can't get away from a Disney Pixar film, and you know what to expect. You, you know what to expect in terms of heart, and it to look great, and it to be kind of uh, left field. You know, it can come up with these really bizarre setups, uh, but deliver it, you know, and, and be such a well-accepted uh, form, you know, movie. And I don't think you'd get there without Yellow Submarine. And John Lasseter has come out to say that it was very influential for him to watch that and to kind of give him that, uh, that impulse to go into animation. And I want to kind of, you know, go back to what were the, what were the animated films, uh, contemporary animated films of the late 60s, right? You would have some, you had Disney films, but Disney films at the time were, you know, even older like Snow White or Cinderella, uh, The Jungle Book, you know, these were... All classic films, but again, mainly aimed for kids. There were some songs. Uh, it knew what it was going to do, and it did it well, and that was fine. Or I think Yellow Submarine comes along is is it's I don't know how, but it is aimed for kids. But there's so much humor in there that's straight for adults, and it doesn't kind of water the humor down uh, so that the kids understand it. It doesn't get too broad or slapstick to be kind of annoying. You know, it really walks that fine line of being clever, but also that broad appeal. Again, that's something that we, we see now in modern Pixar films is adults, anybody of any age can enjoy these films. I, I feel like Yellow Submarine was one of the first animated films to really walk that line. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think I've often fantasized about wishing that Pixar would helm a remake of yellow submarine which i'm sure would never happen but um or at least get as weird you know sometimes i think pixar they venture a little out into the world of the weird but nothing could ever match the weirdness and the imagination of the yellow submarine but i was doing a little bit of research and came across an article of uh it was someone who worked on The Simpsons talking about how without Yellow Submarine, there would be no Simpsons and there would be no um, Pixar. There'd be no any of these things, at least not in the way we know them. 
because um, even if, you know, even if the films that are made today and since have not fit the same mold as the Yellow Submarine, which pretty much I don't think any, they broke the mold after they made that movie. I think a whole generation or generations of animators um, loved this movie and were influenced by it in overt and also very subtle ways. I think it also goes back to a theme we talk about in some of our previous podcasts, is that Beatle music, it inflames the imagination. It tells you, you can do this. Like, there are no rules. Like, you can go in any direction you want to, whether it's in music or writing uh, or sound engineer. And that's just on the records themselves or being a celebrity or putting out your own records or owning your own brand, right? Like, the Beatles... I mean, core legacy is that they're always going to inflame your imagination. They're going to say, you can do this. You can do whatever you want. And in a way, we're talking about animation. I think these animators came and said, you can do that with animation. You can tell this kind of story. You can get trippy. You can get, you know, you can do so many more things with animation. It doesn't just have to be for kids. It doesn't just have to be, you know, uh, uh, songs and, and funny animals. Like, oh, you could do whatever and, and it'll work. And it'll connect with people, and it'll be an enduring legacy. Uh, I was going to ask you this, Beetlehead. Have you heard? I guess I've heard this, but I forgot about it. That Sean Lennon didn't know his dad was a Beetle until he went over to his friend's house and saw Yellow Submarine. No, I don't I know if I've this. heard that one. Yeah, I feel like I've read it before, but not really caring about Yellow Submarine. I just kind of filed it away. But in some of the articles I've read, it did bring that up that it might be an apocryphal tale. But I feel like it's a a real sweet tale of, you know, late 70s, 79, 78. Sean's about three or four, goes to your friend's house. They put on Yellow Submarine, and he goes, why does that sound like my dad? You know, like, mm -hmm. why is that my dad's name? And you think at the time, like, John Lennon's at home. Yoko's doing a lot of the business deals, and he's just at home, and like a stay-at-home dad. So if you're Sean, you're like, this guy's probably the boringest guy on earth. Oh, uh, he watches cartoons with me, takes me swimming. There's no way he could be this guy in a cartoon, and then I think, that's when John goes, I think he really started to understand, like, wow, kids love this. Like, it'll live on past us. It, the Beatles ended in 1970, but our lasting legacy might even be just Yellow Submarine because kids of all ages from anywhere could watch it and dig it and understand it. And maybe that's plants the seed of finding out who we are. And I think he's right. I think he was or kind of right on that, that assumption. Yeah, I saw, I did see a John Lennon quote where he was saying, um, that Yellow Submarine was his favorite of all the Beatles movies and that Sean loved it and that little kids all over loved it. And I suppose that had something it's it's a it's childlike appeal must have had something to do with him uh, proclaiming it as his favorite. I think uh, and there's a part in Beatles anthology where they do talk about Yellow Submarine and this is like early 90s. And Ringo goes, I have kids to this day go, why did you push that button? Oh, yeah. And, you know, they always him. And so, like, imagine being Ringo's star, and, you know, it's the 80s and 90s, and you're doing your thing, and if a kid comes up to you, you probably assume they don't know about the Beatles. Maybe their parents do or whatever. And they're, like, hammering you and pestering you about this cartoon that, again, you didn't put your voice to. and You've only saw it, like, after it was completed. So I thought that was real funny. But it was very telling, right? Like, that was the influence that it had on generations and current generations and probably will have going forward, right? Like this is probably something 
I would show my kid and be like, hey, this is fun. They probably like the colors and the music. And then if they're anything like their father, you know, when they get older, hopefully they're laying on their own plush couches and pillows and with their own mob <laughs> watching it, you know, and, and being safe, I'd assume. So I don't think... Do you, you know can... Do you know the story of the failed remake? No. Okay. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because... I regretted not calling into Tim Heidecker's Beatles podcast and putting the same question to him because I think it's a fascinating story. But uh, to summarize, so you know Robert Zemeckis, he directed, uh, what did he direct? Like Back to the Future and Forrest Gump, among many other things, some of the most famous movies of ours and past generations. Yes, Um, I know Robert Zemeckis. Back back when we were in college, he was on this like uh, CGI motion capture kick. He made the films Polar Express, right. Beowulf, and A Christmas Carol, and maybe one other using pioneering motion capture technology uh, as a means of animating, you know, which is where they put little dots all over somebody and sort of capture a real actor's performance. And I remember with Polar Express and his other movies, there was a recurring criticism that all the characters had dead eyes. And certainly his foray into computer animation was not as successful as, say, Pixar. But it was successful enough that Walt Disney partnered with him and greenlit a motion capture CGI remake of The Yellow Submarine, which they officially announced in September of 2009. And they even released one dinky little promotional image uh, for the movie. And it was said to be slated for a 2012 spring-summer release to coincide with the, with the uh, 2012 Summer Olympics in London, England. And they even cast the movie. Uh, the biggest name would be Carrie, Carrie Elwes or whatever his name Yules. is. From the prin- Yules, Carrie Yules from The Princess Bride was cast as George and then uh Peter Serafinowitz um yeah. I don't know if you know him yeah from like look around you yes and a of lot course. of great British television he was cast as Paul and Robert Zemeckis was set to direct um but then Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey came out uh directed by Robert Zemeckis motion capture and it was a critical and commercial flop and then I think Disney also lost a lot of money on another computer animated film of, uh, that they put out. And they scrapped the whole deal. They pulled it off the shelf, canceled everything. And then for a couple of years, Zemeckis was going around to different studios trying to get somebody to uh, go in with him on the project again. But ultimately gave up hope. Which I think is so sad. Because even if... I know there's a lot of Beatles fans out there who would say, man, don't even touch it. Like, you know, it's a classic. Don't mess with the classic. But I would say, why not? You know, I would love to see the computer animated Beatles in the theater and the songs are still going to be good. The songs aren't going anywhere. You know, you still get to hear those songs blasting over some like IMAX speakers or something. I wouldn't even care if it was a piece of trash. I wanted to see that movie. And I was very sad when it got canceled. And I would like to live in the alternate reality where they saw it through. I want to see that movie. 
I know. I was going to ask you this. This would have been Robert Zemecki's second Beatle movie. Can you name the first one? Ha ha. Well, I learned from Tim Heidecker's Beatles podcast that the first one was called I Want to Hold Your Hand. Have you seen this one? No, but it's on my note on my phone, my long note note list of movies to watch. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. That was one of my my parents really like and I watched it all oh, 15, 20 years ago. And it's I actually I want to watch it again now because it's real sweet. I, I'm sure you read about it, but the setup for you, listener, is there's uh I think four teenagers in New Jersey and they're trying to make their way to New York because the Beatles are gonna play at its Sullivan. So it's a really cool uh, set up because you know they they try to hit the road and they run into all kinds of problems uh, and uh, you know they're also teenagers so they're probably dealing with their own thing uh, but it's a lot of fun it was it was uh, but it's a fun movie so it's definitely one to check out uh, I think they I think it, they it might even be seventies I think I really want to see that movie apparently it's it's a Criterion film seventy Criterion you're rules. right you're uh-huh, right nineteen seventy eight correct correct. Uh, but I think we, we kind of made the point there, again, just the, the influence on animation alone, again, not only does it allow you to do certain things, uh, it frees you, right? It just opens, it raises the bar now. Now you could do any kind of animated uh, feature, and it could be as weird and wild as it can get, and you probably still won't approach you know, the upper limit of, of what Yellow Submarine did. And that's fine, right? It just makes it even richer an experience for animated film. Uh, moving on, I'd say that the next kind of big influence, and it might be a little more niche, would be kind of psychedelic, weird shows. And I, I put this under Adult Swim, like the shows that you and I would watch, you know, in college. I don't watch as much anymore, but you could something like The Mighty Boosh, right? I, I really would say that The Mighty Boosh uh, has a, many, many influences, but the ability to be really psychedelic and kind of uh, funny. And weird anything kind of like Noel Fielding does, I think owes a great debt to uh, Yellow Submarine. Am oh, I yeah. out of line to say that? No way, yeah. Mighty Boosh, absolutely. I hadn't thought of that, but I love the Mighty Boosh, and uh, I probably love it mainly because of how much it reminds me, just the spirit of it reminds me of um, the Yellow Submarine. And yeah, there's no way that. There's no way that Yellow Submarine is not one of Noel Fielding's favorite movies, I would have to guess. But it similarly strikes that wonderful balance between psychedelic, uh, sort of funny slapstick uh, with just the right amount of, like, scary, you know? Like the Crack Fox. You remember the Crack Fox? Yeah. yeah. Did you ever watch Luxury Comedy as well? No, I didn't. Can you believe that? Oh, now that I've got one on you. I think they had two, maybe three seasons, but I believe the first two were on uh, on YouTube. And I'd seen an interview with Noel Fielding. I find him fascinating. I could listen to him talk for days when he's not on, when he's not, you know, the great British bake-off and being funny, right? Ha ha, look at me. And when he's kind of just, you know, mellowed out and, and just shooting straight, he talks a little bit about surreal humor. He loves, you know, the surreal, and that's what he dabbles in. But one thing he, he pointed out that has really stuck with me for several years is he said that to do surreal humor, it has to come from a warm, cheerful, uh, well-meaning place because it can too easily and too quickly become nihilistic, mean, 
right? If everything's kind of Dadaist and uh, cold and surreal, you know. Well, speaking be- of, that reminds me of what I thought first when I when you brought up Adult Swim in in regards to Yellow Submarine, which is Super Jail. <laughs> very heavily influenced by the Yellow Submarine, but definitely leaning very hard. Uh, much further into the realm of the scary and the disturbing and the outright grotesque and horrifying. But I think it's got a lot of yellow submarine in its DNA, no doubt. I wonder if it was you or Cameron or maybe DeAndrea. Somebody somebody once commented like they were worried that DeAndrea's mom would walk in and find like four bespeckled eyes glazed over watching Super Jail. <laughs> <laughs> And, I, and so Tasha and I said that to this day, like, if we were ever going to be walked in on, they would just catch us, like, watching Super Jail, like, reflecting off of our glasses. Boy, um, we would have been in trouble. Uh, well, I don't know. We would have just been like, hey, do you want to keep watching Super Jail? How many hours of, like, Super Jail did we, like, just sit through? I mean, that's not even, people don't even watch anymore. I feel like it's been, it's been over, uh, well, I, I feel like shows like Adventure Time really now are like oh man what a great show and psychedelic and it's really cool i don't think people even remember super jail it's just cool guys like us yeah we're pretty cool but yeah you bring up a great of course you have to mention adventure time you know not that it was on adult swim but gotta talk you got you have to mention adventure time and just a whole generation of children's cartoons where i think were influenced very much by the elsa marine including one of my favorites uh flapjack which yeah is definitely feels forgotten which is insane because that show was a master work um i think pimbleton ward is that his name the creator of adventure time i think he even worked right. on flapjack and now he has this new show out on netflix which is like the pinnacle of everything you know i mean if you thought adventure time was psychedelic now he's just like He's ratcheted it up a thousand percent with this new show um, called. Did I say what it's called? What is that show called? Yeah. I, I think I've read about it too, and it looked real far out. So oh, gotta look this up now. Yeah, I really need to watch that. I should. I'm gonna watch that tonight. I think. I heard I from gonna... Cameron. He said it was really cool. In oh. fact, to bring it back to this recurring theme, he said it was the most creative thing that he had seen since the old days at the Crescent. Watching yes! Super Jail. Uh, well, now we're going to have to get like a Zoom meeting, right? Everyone, like we just synchronize our watches, set up the Zoom meeting, put it on, uh, do, you know, get our minds limber, right? For The, the Midnight Gospel, that's what it's called. Oh, okay. And his name's well, Pendleton Ward. I call him Pimbleton. I mean, it's not any Pimbleton? better. Is Pimbleton a name? I mean, it's just as much as Pendleton, I'd say. I was going to well, ask, though. Had you ever seen... Did you ever get into Legion, the show on FX? Uh, I watched like two episodes or three. That's the one with the guy from Downton Abbey? Yes, yes. Uh, It was... I really enjoyed it. It's like an X-Men property, but it really... It's more psychedelic. I mean, we keep saying that. However, there would be little references to Yellow Submarine, right? Like, they would be looking out the window, right? And you would see like Zeppelins flying around. And then you would see the fists like pointing to things, and you would never realize like, is this real? Is this all in his head? Uh, and in the third season, they were messing with time, so like time was uh, eating itself. 
but the to show to illustrate that you know time was eating itself, they would have blue meanies. They had legit blue meanies like running around with a little mask on. <laughs> like they would laugh like hyenas, and that's how you knew that like time was collapsing on itself. So uh, oh, they a lot had legit of, blue meanies. Yeah, it was legit. They were legit blue meanies. Oh, I gotta see that. So check out. I mean, if you can get through the first two seasons, the second season's okay. Uh, the third one's really good. It just ties it all together. But you can definitely see the just straight rip off of Yellow Submarine. Like they were using it, but it was it was really cool. It was always, uh, but in the same vein of it being surreal and psychedelic. Again, you can't do that kind of show without having watched Yellow Submarine, without having listened to Beatles music, uh, psychedelia of the late '60s. Uh, and again, I think it flipped it on its head because the character is a mutant with like insane. He's, I won't spoil it for you, but he just has like immense uh, psychic powers. So he can alter reality and he can make reality look however he feels like. If he feels like it looks like Yellow Submarine, then it is. So definitely check it out. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, listener, check out Legion on FX. Uh, three seasons, it's over. But if you're into this kind of stuff, I'd say. It's really well worth a watch there. Lots of recommendations this episode. Yeah, we're really en- enhancing your stay at home. Uh, I'm moving on, I'd say to my number three point, I put down you know, music movies as a, as a influence. And I, I want to go back to like what were, what were movies made by musicians like before Yellow Submarine? Well, again, you'd had... Hard Day's Night, you had help. You had a lot of those Elvis movies or the Rat Pack where they were characters, thinly veiled, you know, actors and characters. But it'd be like, oh, there's this guy. He says he can sing. And it's Elvis. And he walks into a bar. He's like, well, I haven't been known to sing too much, but here goes. And he'd break (laughs) out into like, you know, uh, don't be cruel or whatever. Right. It was just it was a vehicle to showcase the artist, to play music, play their hits. Uh, and then it, you know, the plot was always kind of second nature, right? But as long as you got Frank Sinatra, or Elvis, and even the Beatles, like, oh, you just try to set them up to, to sing, and that was cool. And that was, you know, that was what you expected. You went to these movies not for the the great story or the acting, but just to see your your favorite celebrities. And I, uh, I'd say after Yellow Submarine, I started thinking of. Did you ever watch Moonwalker by Michael Jackson? Do you remember? That no. Never that even heard one, of that. It's a crazy film. I think it's in the early '90s, and it's really one long music video. Uh, I think it has like Smooth Criminal, and it has like Michael Jackson. He turns into a robot, some sort of like android, like a giant mech, you know, like a mecha, whatever, you know, droid. And then he's flying around like it's real crazy and out of, you know, it's it's out of this world. Uh, really weird, but it's like early 90s Michael Jackson, so he's already kind of had some of the surgery and kind of gotten really far out. Uh, but you don't get to like Moonwalk or movies like that without Yellow Submarine that, oh, it doesn't just have to be a flimsy pretense to have, you know, a pop star uh, in a movie. Like you could just do whatever now. And now you're able to do that and make, you know, kind of crazy, crazy, almost vanity projects at times. Uh, and I think it's 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 very important. And now we look at movies like Rocket Man or Bohemian Rhapsody. I think especially with Rocket Man about Elton John, there's more magic realism to it, right? It tells the story as best it can. 
it plays the hits, it plays the songs, but it also gets surreal and psychedelic, but it also uses it as a narrative feature of saying like, well, hey, he's on drugs, so anyone who's watching this, you know, you can't say that he wasn't flying around the air because you weren't sober either. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that makes it sound pretty interesting. I didn't see that one. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, but I did not see Rocket Man. Do you recommend that? Is that another recommendation? I like it. I enjoy it. Uh, I love Elton John, too. So I, I think Taron Edgerton does a great job portraying Elton. Uh, but again, I think they, they were able to weave that magic realism uh, to there to add that just spice of the surreal and, and, and color in some of the, uh, the history there uh, of, of Sir Elton John. I was thinking of other movies that I've talked about on other podcasts, like uh, Velvet Goldmine, right? Like that's a movie that is a, a rock and roll movie, and it's thinly veiled about David Bowie, but it does take a lot of licenses, and it uses a lot of magic, and it uses a lot of psychedelia to kind of enhance the story a little bit, but it doesn't get in the way of what the story is about. Uh, and if you'd like to hear more about Velvet Goldmine, go ahead and check out Not So High Fidelity with Tessa MTV and Adam Danger. Uh, it's a cheap plug. But I think a lot of these movies that use music and rock and roll now can do, again, do so many different things. I'm not there across the universe. You can, you have such a wider palette to color from uh, because a movie like Yellow Submarine makes it work. You can see the, you can see how it works and then kind of translate it to other properties. Yeah, I mean, they, it, it reminds me of something that uh, I heard on a podcast recently that russell hazard said was talking about star wars and how star wars just really you know threw out the book in terms of what one would expect from a science fiction adventure film you know that it used to, prior to star wars it was all about like cheap effects and you know corny dialogue and just um you know an altogether not very impressive sort of genre of film and then star wars just blew all that up and changed the science fiction genre forever and i think you know yellow submarine did that for you know it, it threw it rewrote the book on what an animated feature film could be generally and also what an artist driven sort of musical uh vehicle could be Definitely, definitely. Yeah, you know, I, I agree, and I'm I'm glad you're listening to old Russell Hazard. This will be a fine feather in his little cap uh, <laughs> that we're name checking him here. And you mentioned Star Wars, so I think it's a nice segue to my second point. And this isn't a huge point, but when I hear March of the Meanies, I'm like, oh, this is just the Imperial March from Star Wars, right? Like I've grown up watching Star Wars, and I know the Imperial March in my sleep, right? So when I heard it in Yellow Submarine. And I gotta be honest, when I listen to the record, when I listen to the the CD, I, I would always skip through the the George Martin score for the film because I was like, ah, I just want to hear the Beatles. Like, I want to hear only Northern Song. I want to hear Hey Bulldog. I want to hear, uh, you know, the actual Beatles playing. So I didn't realize until now that I was like, oh, this is just the same score. And I brought this up to a real not only Star Wars, but music aficionado. This person actually studies music for their, for their degree. And, uh, and so I knew that like, if I heard it, I brought it to them just to make sure, hey, look, 
you're the authority. Do you hear it as well? And they're like, wow, I'd never heard this before. I didn't know that. And they're a big John Williams fan. So they're like, oh, I know John Williams has a lot of classical influences, right? That's what his big influences are for scoring films like Jaws and all like Steven Spielberg movies and the other, you know, Star Wars films and any big John Williams score. I mean, we've all heard them. So to me, to hear, you know, the March of the Meanies and then put it side by side to uh, the Imperial March, there has to be some, I mean, the Beatles are so big. There's no way you can say, well, I've never heard of the Beatles. I've never heard of the Yellow Submarine. There's no way I could have ever heard this. Uh, I just came up with this out of thin air. To me, I find that impossible. Oh, you're going to, this is point number two, right? Right. Okay. Well, you're going to have to sing the uh, Imperial March for me, I'm afraid. Do you I don't remember, know what you're talking about. Do you remember that website? What was it? YouTube Doubler? And you said I was the only person still using it? Yeah. I'm gonna, I'll put it on there and I'll, I'll send it to you. Maybe I'll, uh, if I'm able to, I'll see if I can add it here uh, for you. You're just going like, to do an acapella version for me right now? Uh, well, not acapella. Um, let me see if I can play it for you. Okay. And then you decide. So I'm going to play one. I didn't think I was like I don't know if I know Meanie March or March of the Meanies, but as soon as you started playing it, of course I know that. Um, I was always very partial to Pepperland, which is one of the musical uh, little orchestral bits that George Martin created for the movie. I even put that on a mix CD when I was in college, and I thought it was pretty clever. Well, I'm going to have to like listen to it more. Again, I only listened to the first half of the CD. I'm going to have to listen to the second half now. Again, I really liked it. It goes so well with the movie, and it it helps the movie attain this kind of motion, right? You're just, you see the yellow submarine moving. It's going throughout time and space and into these dinosaurs or weird characters. But when it's, when the yellow submarine's in motion, you know, you hear these strings and things bounding along and, uh, and again, that's all credit to George Martin. Like that's the the um, the genius there, and maybe it's the uh, underrated aspect of Sir George Martin. This is really, really where he comes to shine. I'd say. Yeah, I mean, he certainly gets to do more, create more music 
on a Beatles release than at any other time here. And yeah, he does. He shines and all have all of his pieces just are fit perfectly for the film. I agree. Well, that's going to bring us to my number one lasting legacy. Now, this one might be the most this, controversial. This, yeah, this is the most perplexing. I can't wait to hear. Let me, I'll start off with this. This is a thought exercise. Let me tell you about a movie wherein four of the most famous people uh, that you've known have to band together and go through space and time to defeat uh, a warlord that you know freezes or makes half the populace disappear what am i describing <laughs> why the yellow submarine of course actually i was talking about in avengers infinity war and endgame what uh, yeah it, it just kind of hit me that, you know there's the part of the movie where the beatles they uh they jump into the yellow submarine with old fred and they start going throughout time and there's an aspect where like they get really, really old, and then they get really, really young. And that reminds me of part of um, in, uh, Endgame, right, where Ant-Man's trying to travel through time, and he either, like, becomes a baby or an old man. Oh, and yeah, then yeah. They're, they're dealing with, like, well, time's moving through you. You're not moving through time. And so it kind of hit me, and I thought, well, okay, so hold on a second. So now we have, you know, an Endgame. You have to get these people to figure out how to time travel, but not only time travel, but go through space uh, to recover the Infinity Stones before Thanos does. Boom, boom, boom. We've all seen the film. I'm not going to go over it. But again, you do that in Yellow Submarine. And what's great about Yellow Submarine is you already know who the Beatles are. You already know who George Harrison is. You already know who Ringo Starr is. You know who John Lennon and Paul McCartney are. The movie doesn't have to spend any time explaining who these characters are who their personality traits are. I love that one scene where uh, Ringo's driving through, you know, that huge mansion and they find George Harrison and he's like sitting atop of a pyramid almost and all these like chanting like Buddhist or Hindu phrases, right? He looks really, really cool. Like that's almost like a, like a Dr. Strange kind of thing going on there. And he's like, yes, I guess I'll help you. Uh, and I thought, well, that's the genius of these Avengers movies is they spent prior films introducing you to who Captain America is, who Thor is, who Iron Man is, who Spider-Man is. You come in already knowing who these characters are, so when Infinity War kicks off, they don't have to, you know, they kind of set the table of this is what's going to happen. Here's a threat, and boom, let's take off. And again, that's why I think these films are, are so huge and popular, because we're all in on it. We're all bought in. We're caught up. We're smartened up. We know what the stakes are. We know who the characters are. We like to see kind of the back and forth and, and the banter between the characters. Uh, and I think Yellow Submarine does that because, again, it's not reinventing the wheel. You know who the Beatles are. You know kind of what their quirks are. Let's get on this, you know, magic Yellow Submarine and, and take care of some business. And, and I love how they're not really phased by anything. They're like, yeah, I guess we're going through time. I guess we're going through space. Oh, Ringo fell off and he's, you know, on horseback on some sort of abominable creature we'd better save them right like they never get like oh this is crazy or wow or right like it doesn't it doesn't get silly they just kind of like are really always smug george harrison's always like it's always in the mind or he said something it's about all in the mind he said something like he might go into infinity not infinity beyond because obviously that's toy story but it was like he may go into oblivion and beyond that and i thought oh man what an awesome like 
that is like a Adam Danger kind of like, I'm going to go beyond Oblivion, man. We've gone too far, right? Like that's something I would have said in our music listening parties that we used to host, right? It just, I thought it was so great, but I, I understood now that, yeah, that's what makes these films great and, and enjoyable. And you could watch over and over again because it doesn't waste time telling you stuff that you already know. It just kind of progresses the plot. It doesn't matter how like, weird and far out the plot is you care about the characters and you care about jeremy hillary boob right like they pick up like you you care about them and you want to see them succeed no matter what they're trying to succeed at have i made that a credible point at least yes it's so clear now the avengers avengers in game is yellow submarine reincarnate I can't believe that I didn't see that before. I can't believe I wasn't thinking about that when I watched Avengers Endgame. Now tell me, do you agree with, uh, I mean, on a side note, do you agree with Martin Scorsese that the Avengers films do not constitute film? Uh, I think it's a pretentious point to make. You know, we're not talking about cinema, right? But it is, you know, it is a giant leap forward for film you know we're doing so many different things with special effects and you're telling this long form story which really hasn't been done at least on the big screen right like you can talk about star wars and lord of the rings right but uh you know it this is the first time that you went in to an enterprise and it just kept building and rewarding the viewer so it's an experience right like it was an experience it was a, a cultural shift it just changed how we appreciate movies and why we go to the movies movies are spectacles movies are are moving celluloid miracles right now do i want to see you know a gangster picture that talks about you know the soul of man and the human condition uh, as time goes by yeah every once in a while that's fine but sometimes i also want to see you know captain america pick up thor's hammer and that's to me, that's just as moving and just as um, as exciting in motion pictures as you know any kind of taut psychological uh, enterprise, right? So I think it's just a case of him being old man. This is what movies should be. Movies should be these tales and, and have some sort of poignant points and stuff. Uh, I don't think so. I think that's too narrow uh, a definition. What about you? I agree. I agree with you, with all of it. I thought Endgame was pretty good. And I, I do see the similarities to the Yellow Submarine. I wonder if that was a, I wonder if that was a conscious thing. Who directed the Avengers? Does anyone even know? Is it like uh, some it brothers? The, it's like the, the brothers, brothers. Who did the Lego movies or something? No, that was, that was Lord and Miller. This was the Russo brothers. They uh, had done a lot of, which I'm watching now, Community, right? And, uh, Arrested Development. Community. Yeah. Arrested uh, Dan Development. Harmon and uh, right. Yeah. They 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 were working and directing TV for I guess ten years. How is maybe that a requisite to directing Avengers Endgame? Well, they had actually done. Uh, they had done Captain America: Winter Soldier, right? So you had the first Captain America, which uh, is good, yes. and then the second one, Winter Soldier. They took it in such a different direction, but again, it showed the. The movie's great because Captain America meets uh, the Falcon, and that's his buddy. 
And then so they have good banter and interplay. And he meets these new characters. And it's again, it's a bizarre story. Uh, it's more of a spy thriller, uh, but told through the lens of Captain America. But you care about these characters, and they're funny, and they're allowed to be enjoyable. You know, it doesn't have to kind of reinvent the wheel. And I would say this is kind of this is really a tangent, but that's why uh, an Endgame and Infinity War work because they follow that blueprint from Yellow Submarine, whereas a Justice League doesn't. A Justice League is so plotting, and they have to explain every motivation, and then they have to explain who the Flash is and who Cyborg is. You spend so you spend half the movie figuring out these characters that you really don't care about. They're dull as dishwater. And and the enemy or the villain is, you know, inconsequential. So nothing matters, right? Like nothing really matters at all. Uh, and it just becomes a hodgepodge. And that's why people can think, well, how come it works for Avengers and it doesn't work for the Justice League? Because the Avengers understood, hey, you know who Captain America is? Cool. Well, let's get the show on the road. This is what has to happen. And they have to do some timey-wimey kind of stuff. And they have to, you know, uh, go through other dimensions. But you're you're along for the ride, right? You want to see what happens to Cap? Yep. Cool. That's it. It doesn't have to be, but I'm, I'm an alien from another world. And I don't know if I identify with humanity. But maybe I do. Like, oh, spare <laughs> me. Right? Like, spare me the edgelord, um, you know, like, wanting to be tough guy business. And I'm a DC person. Like I, again, I'm really flying off the rails here. I'm a DC person. That is that is my brand. That is my choice of comic book. So when I I see these movies, I'm so underwhelmed. And I think to myself, how come it doesn't work? Well, I can go back to something as simple, simple and clever as uh, as Yellow Submarine and say, oh, that's why it works. Because I give a care. I give a hoot about the people. The I can understand the villain is interesting. At you know, at least he's interesting. I want to see what this, you know, blue mini gets up to and why he's such a terrible uh, cuss. Uh, but cool. Yeah, you kept, I will follow you along. I will look at all these crazy paintings and listen to the music. I am along for the ride. And I think that's it. Ultimately, we are all along for the ride. So did you, did you, when you watch Yellow Submarine for the first time as a full grown man, <laughs> did you find it to be, like entertaining did you get bored at any point or were you just did you did you have a great time from beginning to end you know i really i tried to just avoid any distractions i didn't have my phone out too much i just sat there and i watched it i watched it again by myself so i wouldn't be tempted to or get self-conscious i'm like oh we can change this if you want or we don't have to watch it right like when you're trying right, to show right. something to somebody and you know that maybe they're not kind of into it or you know, they're being nice about it. You get a little self-conscious. And you stop paying attention, right? Boy, do you, <laughs> slash I. Because, you know, I've been, I'm thinking about the last time I saw The Yellow Submarine. You know, I keep threatening uh, to make my girlfriend watch it with me, and we're going to do it soon. But the last time I saw it was when it was showing at the Castro in San Francisco, and I, like, sent out an email. It was, like, Old Points Bulletin. I was sent out this email, and it's like, if... You know, it's like if you consider me a friend, then please join me in you attendance at this. Well, that was the underlying message, if not the exact wording. But I kind of just, yeah, I just peer pressured like all my friends and my roommates to meet me at the Castro to see this movie. And there were like, well, I won't say it was all of my friends, but there were like, you know, like eight or, or ten of us. And That's um, a nice haul. 
Yeah, it was a pretty good haul. People really showed out for that one. Uh, and so, yeah, you talk about the pressure of like showing your wife or your girlfriend something that you love, which I know that pressure. Um, but imagine like getting a whole like party's worth of people to pay to go to the movie theater to see this movie that you just think they have to see. And I got to tell you, it's not the ideal way to rewatch one of your favorite movies because yeah, I felt that pressure like tenfold and I was like the self-consciousness tenfold and I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, maybe this movie is not even really that good. I'm like, I guess it is kind of boring and doesn't really have a story, you know, and just found myself like picking it apart, you know, from the perspective of what I imagined my friends might be thinking. And by the end of it, I was like, why the hell did I invite anybody here? Like, I should have just come by myself, you know, and just enjoyed it and not worried about who else was having a good time. Because for me, it's a great movie and I do love it. Um, but that's why I was curious to see, you know, I just... I can't imagine seeing it for the first time now, and I really don't even know what I would think if I saw it for the first time now. So I was curious what your yeah. takeaway was, or just how much you, how much fun you had watching it. I, On I a scale of one to ten, give me a number. One to ten. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I guess I gotta go with a ten. I mean, why are we even talking about it Whoa, right now? If I ten. wasn't this like excited and enjoyed it, and thinking about it, and reading about it, and listening to the songs. You know what I mean? Like, if I said, oh, it was just fine. It was okay. I'm glad I watched it. I doubt I would have put any of a tenth of this effort into what I'm doing right now and talking about it and thinking about it and breaking it down. Um, because uh, I did I expect I just it to it. be a 10 for a true Beatles fan like yourself. I almost envy uh, you're seeing it for the first time. But Well, I would think now, like, if you were to bring somebody into it, Maybe you could have, after this conversation, hopefully we would have confidence in, like, it has so many things of different things that we all enjoy. Like, if you know somebody and we kind of enjoy this, we kind of enjoy that, we, we understand this, they can be like, do you like Star Wars music? Do you kind of like Star Wars? Do you like an Infinity War? You <laughs> might dig this. You know, you might dig <laughs> this. Uh, I'm not going to promise anything. I dig it. And this is something I want to share with you, not just you, Beatlehead, but you the listener i want to share this joy that i have this great experience i want to share it with you i want to break this metaphorical bread with you and hopefully you walk away and maybe you walk away with you know you find something else that you love about it that i don't see or maybe i didn't appreciate and that's just as cool and that's just as awesome uh so if, if you're yes, listening to this if, if it wasn't if it wasn't clear we are recommending that you go out and see the yellow submarine I don't think I can have uh, I can end it any other way than that that honest um, recommendation there. But I gotta say, Beatlehead, this is one of the more fun conversations we've had. Yes, I agree. Thanks for coming up with this topic. Always oh, my pleasure. It's always good to talk with you, my I'll friend. Start, I'll start racking my brain for what we're going to talk about in the next episode. Uh, I know you're going to come up with some gold there, but. Uh, I appreciate it. I uh, I appreciate you, Beetlehead. I appreciate your time. I hope you give my best to your best, and uh, and will and viewer listener. You're not going to be watching this, but you're going to be listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you keep listening and uh, tell a friend about old, the old Fab Five. Well, 
This is old Adam Danger signing off.